21CL Radio. Happy Monday morning to you, and welcome to the Education Vanguard. So glad to have you here. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and thank you for joining us on our mission of building communities of learners. Today, I've got Kate Balsamo, a senior, that's the uh, Special Education Network in Asia. Senya is a fantastic resource for educators of all types. Over a decade old, Senya holds conferences with fantastic speakers, creates local chapters, provides networking opportunities, and generally gives a push to schools in their region to move toward an inclusive model of education. Today, I talk with Kate Balsamo. She's a Senya board member about the organization, including its roots, its activities, and its exciting plans for the future. Enjoy the conversation. Kate Balsamo, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Oh, you're welcome. Well, today we're going to talk about Senya Special Education Network in Asia, which, of course, I'm very excited about because I've heard about it for many years. My wife's part of it, and you're part of it, right? I am, yes, for the last two, almost two years now. Now, you guys do a lot of great things, which we'll talk about. I uh, wanted to know if you could tell us what Senya stands for. Oh, I guess I already said it, but <laughs> what it really does. <laughs> like, what, what, Give us a, a summary of, for, of Senya. Okay, so Senia stands for, like you said, um, the Special Education Network in Asia. It's been around for quite a while. Um, the organization started years ago back in China, just out of a need in the community to network with other school teachers for the benefit of students with, with learning needs and learning challenges. But that grew. Um, there were so many needs just outside of China, of course. And before you know it, more and more countries in the region started to join up what was just a little organization in China grew to the network it is today um, across Asia. So the conferences started years ago in China and now have been in quite a few countries around the region. Now you say the network that it is today. Just just how much impact or how big is Senya overall within uh, the region? Um, well, Senya has grown with local chapters in quite a few countries. So we have a local chapter in the country of Malaysia, in Philippines, there's a local chapter in Taiwan and Shanghai. We have a new local chapter in Japan, um, a local chapter in Thailand, and one up and coming in Singapore. So since the Senia board just meets monthly, it, it's hard to always impact the individual countries. So having these local chapters on the ground can continue our, our mission um, within their country. So are you, are you looking to expand those local chapters? So, for example, if somebody is listening now and wanted to do one in, I don't know, New Delhi or something, uh, could they do that? We, we would love that. We just actually started talking about that as um, representatives either from our board or active in the local chapters in countries in Asia move on. Mm -hmm. It's a great expansion opportunity for us to start looking at Senia um, India, Senia Europe, Senia South America. So we would definitely love to see organizations uh, popping up in other regions as well. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Are you guys really looking to expand out? Now, maybe you'd have to change names. The Special Education Network in Always Europe, or I don't know, you'd have to get that A, I guess, you know, for the, right, I guess the name would overall. Have to play you, do you find some interest or possibility for that to happen to expand the reach uh, well beyond Asia? You know, yes, we do, um, especially looking at Europe because there is. I think there is an organization there similar to Senia, and I'm not quite sure what it is, that recently has contacted us. And then we do oh. have a board member that moved on last year who is in South America. 
So there's two possibilities right there. One thing that our board was talking about was just really firming up um, the bylaws and, and who we are so that we can kind of pass that on mm-hmm. to other areas. And they can just kind of pick that up to avoid that element of a startup. Okay, so you, you guys can offer, in a sense, a, a package I mean, that, that people can do for, of administration, of organization, of structure, of bylaws, et cetera. Exactly, just to make it easier, because it, it, that, that takes time to establish, as obviously Senia has shown, starting in China and then slowly you know, growing um, around the region. Got it. So what, how much need is there? I mean, do we really need something like this? Are, are the schools doing a good enough job on their own with special education, or does it there really need to be an organization like this that's helping to push things forward? I think the international schools are slowly making that move um, towards inclusion. So Senia is there as a network for international school teachers, especially at conference time, to come and find out what's new with new practices and talk to some experts to, to bring back to their schools. It's been nice to see that the Senia conference is not just attended by learning resource teachers. We do have quite a range, um, special education teachers, regular ed teachers, administrators, English as additional language teachers, psychologists. So it has become a, a venue for all educators to come to learn just differentiation tools for all students. Uh-huh. But really, Senia, the nice part is the impact it's having in the local communities. I know speaking for Senem, which is the local chapter in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah tell, me, tell me about that impact. Yeah, the, the mission is more, our international schools have a lot of opportunities here for professional development. Um, our school brings in a lot of people, as do other international schools. So really the impact is we're trying to educate local therapists and local teachers and local special education teachers as to different practices um, and connecting people around the, the city that might not know about this organization or that organization that could help all children. So I think the, as Senia grows in the local countries, we can have more of an impact um, for the countries that we're currently living in. Okay, so just to be clear, you're looking to reach outside of the international schools, the, the, the local schools, the, the local Malaysian school, for example. Senem is, yes. And ah. that, that has been... And I think that's due to the structure of our board. Uh-huh. We're not a board of international school teachers. We're a board of three local professionals and two international school teachers. Oh, okay. I understand better now. So you tell me about inclusion. So what, there's been a lot of talk lately with inclusion. And you know, I work at International School Bangkok, and we're talking about inclusion quite a bit. What, what does that mean to do inclusion? That's, that's quite a loaded question. Um, okay, what so, should it mean to do inclusion? Up to you, either way. Okay, <laughs> I, I, the way I, you know, I'm coming out of the United States five years ago and coming into the international school world where inclusion is a discussion and not a practice was interesting to me. Okay. I, I see inclusion as looking at every child as a learner, figuring out how to reach them and developing a program to move them forward within the constructs of the curriculum. I think that you know, international schools are working on that because we're not always staffed to handle uh-huh. looking at learning challenges. And I think that's where the pitfall might fall sometimes in international schools, the staffing. If we had the staffing, then I, I don't think there would be as much talk about this path to inclusion because we'd have the people on the ground to handle looking at the needs of the student and, and helping them um, best meet their needs. 
So maybe that's that could be the response when you suggest to a, a school that doesn't have inclusion. They say, "Oh, we don't simply have the staff." Is 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 that okay? Do you think? I mean, can we change that somehow in the future? So it's like maybe you should hire the staff. You can charge whatever you need to charge, etc. It sometimes it seems like there's a lack of will more than there's just a lack of uh, infrastructure. No, the, the, yes, there's always a reason why we can't. The, you know, like you said, it's it's money. It's I can't find the right people. So it just has to be. A mission and a priority to you know set 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 a five year plan, set a three year plan, and then just tick away to ensure everything's in place and and it should be for all students they, they should have opportunity to go wherever their family is traveling or wherever they are and be able to be educated within the, their local school now i'm getting a sense that there might be a bit of a shift in that that there is more opportunity for inclusion than there was certainly five years ago when you first came out do you, are you seeing that too or can we be optimistic moving forward here or not quite yet? No, I think we can be optimistic. We are, at least I'm at the International School of Kuala Lumpur, and we've definitely, uh-huh. um, over the years, we, we we stopped our you know looking at a folder and saying, oh well, I see this or this, and now instead the conversation is, okay, so how can we support that child? And and there's more dialogue about that, and and the students are coming, and the, the teachers are learning tools in their tool bag to demystify a mm-hmm. lot of the disorders that they they perceived as not being able to support. And now they'll say, oh, that student is just like this student that I, I, I did, you know, do a great job and I was able to differentiate for them. So, yes, they we're definitely on the right track um, with inclusion. And I just, you know, like I said, coming out of the United States, I just I want to service all kids and I want to help all kids. So it, it is it's a frustration and, a, and an excitement uh-huh. that we're on this path. But I just want to be on this trajectory a little quicker. Now, we've talked before about uh, different models to use uh, in, that Cindy would support. Like, for example, you guys are, are fans of the co-teaching model, right? We are, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Explain what the co-teaching model is to somebody who might be new to it. So at our school, we have one learning resource and one English as an additional language teacher per grade level. And within that grade level, there's an average of four to five classes. Okay. And what the EAL and LR teacher do is we cluster, we cluster the children. So there's two classes that have um, students with learning needs in them and two classes that have children that are uh, learning English. Mm-hmm. And the, thir- the fifth class would be kind of a crossover class. So children that in the additional language program are kind of ready to exit, they're in that class. Or children that are just kind of being monitored for their learning challenges are in that class. And with the co-teaching model, our LR teacher and EAL teacher are in the classroom okay. planning... Uh, differentiating instruction, running like whole group lessons, splitting into small groups, station teaching. But it's a chance for the LR teacher to bring their skills to the classroom and the classroom teacher to learn from those skills. It's a chance for children to have smaller group instruction within the classroom environment. Um, and it's just a great way to have two pairs of eyes on a classroom. Now, how long has it been around? Was it there five years ago when you first arrived? It was not. Uh, it had just got going Five years ago, EAL was still pulling out okay. for their, their instruction. So that was my first year here, LR as well. In my second year, EAL started to push in, and then LR had the same question that if EAL is in the classroom, wouldn't that be better for our students mm-hmm. if we were in the classroom as well? Because um, right, you know, it's more difficult to have conversations with teachers about student work if you're not in the instruction seeing what's happening. So when they're in the classroom and they can see how the teacher is delivering it or the, the, the child's eyes kind of glazing over, you can kind of problem solve right there and not after the fact. So it's more proactive. 
so I, I wonder about that that transition. Did was it embraced? Was it easy to do? Is it was it and is it, is it still a challenge? Where is, is are you guys with that when it comes to co teaching the the model behind it? I think now we're, we're in a great spot. Four years ago, when it first flipped, it uh-huh. was a challenge because a lot of you know classroom teachers own their classroom. Classroom teachers um, are proud of their classroom and, and their instructional practices and how they do things. And it, it could unnerve some people when there's an additional teacher in the room. Sure. If you're perceiving that person as evaluating you or critiquing or watching you, so it takes a lot of trust and a partnership to evolve to realize that we're, it's about you know us teaching the class and uh-huh. not you watching me. But over the last, I guess it was three years, the EAL and LR department worked on a co-teaching rubric that we actually had gotten our hands on out of International School of Brussels. Oh. And we kind of adopted it to, to meet our needs at ISKL. So a rubric like where you're judging the other teacher? Give him a uh, well, Actually, you're looking <laughs> at your... They have a couple different strands on there. They're looking at assessment, oh, delivery okay. of instruction, formative assessments, and with the dialogue, is to, the intent of this rubric is for the co-teaching partnership to sit down at the beginning of the year, mid-year, and toward the end of the year, and look at look at this rubric and say, yeah, as a partnership, I feel like you know we're hitting this, or we, we need to work together a little bit more uh-huh. to do this. And I see you know me down here, so it's kind of a, a talking tool to help build that collaborative partnership. Because in the international world, when people move on, you know some great partnerships develop, and there's almost a mourning when that that partnership breaks up and a new co-teacher comes in and it's that getting to know you all over again. So that, mm-hmm. that's a challenge for the co-teaching model. Well, let's turn now, Kate, a little bit to the conference that Senia puts together. So in, in, in some ways, it's sort of the signature event. Can you tell me where the conference is going to be, uh, when it's going to be, and what somebody could uh, see if they were to go to it? Okay. So it's the 13th annual conference. Oh. It's going to be held this year at the International School of Kuala Lumpur. Um, the conference will be over three days. We have a pre-conference day on February 25th. That day, you would be able to spend the whole day with one of our experts that we've we've recruited in. And the three people that we we have this year, we're excited to have um, Julia Cook. Julia Cook is a school counselor and teacher who is, she writes all kinds of children's books and is really the guru in a so- social-emotional um, development of children which is one of our strands. One of our strands is the social-emotional well-being of students. Okay. The next strand that we have is the assessment with diverse populations because obviously we all know in the international world, it's constantly a, a challenge of figuring out, is it a learning difference? Is it the additional language? Is it this child's fourth language that is uh-huh. impacting learning? <laughs> so we have um, Sam Ortiz, and he is a professor of psychology at St. John's University in New York. And uh-huh. he is going to be our expert here talking to us about that, that difference, when languages collide, trying to figure out um, student need. Our third expert on the pre-conference day okay. is Peg Dawson. And Peg Dawson is going to be talking to our third strand, which is executive functioning, a big buzzword right now, at least at our school, um, yeah, and sure. trying to figure out within executive functioning, what, what exactly is that and how would that impact a student? And then more importantly, how does that impact my classroom environment, my instruction, and how I can support um, that child. So those are our, our three individuals that will be around on the pre-conference day. But then the actual conference kicks off on February 26th and 27th, uh-huh. um, where we, those, those three speakers will be giving keynotes and, and be available for presentations throughout the, the weekend. But we also have 60 other 
presenters um, from all around Asia coming in to offer their expertise. Now, this is a typical conference then where you or somebody else could do a presentation of something that's working for them then, right? Correct. So the the committee at, at ISKL fielded well over, uh, I think it was almost 100 different proposals for oh, presentations. That's fantastic. And they, it was. It was quite a lot to go through. And they just tried to get a good balance. Um, we didn't want to have too many in one topic. Mindfulness is a very big topic right now. Uh-huh. So. We do have uh, quite a few speakers on that, but we just tried to get a really good balance for people to tailor a conference to them that will give them a toolbox of, of things to bring back to their schools. Oh, that's exciting. All right, let's, uh, we're getting towards the end here, so let me ask you a, a final question. Where do you hope uh, Senya is going to be five or ten years from now? You know, Typically, I like to say if we were to talk again five or ten years from now, what do you think we or hope we would be talking about? Uh, I hope we'd be talking about Senia growing to the point of, you know, being included with Earcos more than we currently are. So currently with Earcos, we, we have a little partnership where every three years, um, the Earcos and Senia conference come together. Okay. I, I would see just as Earcos is a is a important body in the region, I see I would like Senia and then our our there seems to be a sister organization popping up called ELSA, uh-huh. which is English language equivalent of Senia. So the, the, the two of our organizations kind of come in together and maybe having an office um, near the Earcoast office and the three of us working together for students in the region. Um, all schools having the staffing required to support students and then, um, yeah, that's, that would be the hope is that we're, we, we grow to the point of supporting inclusion in schools and not advocating for inclusion in schools. Gotcha. That would be quite a shift, and then that would, in a lot of ways, be sort of a, I don't know, mission accomplished to have gone from the application to, well, let me help you do it now that you already are. Absolutely. That's, a, that's awesome news. All right. Well, I've been talking with Kate Balsamo. She is a board member of Special Education Network in Asia, also known as Senya. Thanks so much for your time today, Kate. Oh, thanks so much, Michael. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. <laughs>